Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Grant, Father, what we so desperately need this day, that we might hear this, your word, and this word be for us life. May we truly grasp that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Oh, help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a friend in ministry, a wonderful, gracious man. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves the church. He's been a very effective church planning pastor. He has a seminary degree as well as a Ph.D. He's very bright, he's very energetic, and he also speaks in paragraphs rather than sentences. He talks in fairly lengthy stretches, but that's not what's so entertaining. He's one of the few people that I know who interrupts himself. He'll start down a path talking about something, and it reminds him of something else, and we digress on path number two, which may remind him of something else, which leads to the third digression, and eventually we may circle back to the original subject, but not necessarily. Now, if you look at Jude, you see a sudden change here in direction. Jude isn't rambling, but rather having addressed the dangers of some false teachers and the dangers of heresy, he actually looks back to something he said at the very beginning. Verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, that's what he wanted to write about, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why the shift? In the final two verses, he takes up our common salvation. He does it in a format that is typically called a doxology. Now, a doxology in the New Testament typically had four elements to it. God is the one addressed. Glory and honor are ascribed to God. Endless duration of praise is what's featured and there's always a concluding amen or amen. This doxology has all those elements. But you may think this is a very strange place for a doxology. To worship. I mean, after all the warnings and concerns about dangers, right here on the battlefield, if you will, a hymn of praise. But I would say... Really, what better place? See, there's a great temptation that we think that somehow worship 
ought to be safe and safely done in safe places. But you see, worship isn't just meant to be a safe thing, done inside safe walls, among safe people, with warm, fuzzy feelings. There are times worship is part of the warfare. And the benedictions are blessings or as proper on a battlefield as anywhere else when it comes to our faith. We can continue to consider our confession of faith. We come to an article which even if you're not subscribing to the entirety of the doctrines of grace, you've likely heard. Southern Baptists may not speak with a single voice on the matters of election, total depravity, the extent of the atonement, or the nature of regeneration, but on this subject, there is very, very little deviation. I recall being scandalized growing up that Baptists believed in, quote, once saved, always saved, end quote. Why, that was just absolutely madness. Why? Those Baptists believe you can do anything still be a Christian. For someone who believes you can lose your salvation, perseverance is really a very troubling doctrine. So what does the article, the confession, say? Perseverance. We believe that all who have placed their faith in Christ will endure to the end. Their persevering attachment to Christ and attachment to His people are the marks which distinguish them from superficial professors. A special providence watches over their welfare, and they are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation as Christ intercedes for them. You see, that belief about the grace of God not only scandalized those of us who are reared in the Campbellite Restorationist movement, the independent Christian church or churches of Christ, it also scandalizes free will Baptists and Methodists and all their offshoots typically within Pentecostalism and Roman Catholics. You see, the problem back as far as the Reformation was this. If you can't lose your salvation, what motivation is there for you to behave? In other words, if there's not the threat of hell, how do you get people to do moral, ethical behaviors? If you tell them they're okay and the Lord will save them no matter what, why, they'll That's the end of culture. It's the end of Christianity. What do we do without the threat of eternal damnation? Now we know, many of us, that out of the Reformation, part of what we believe we've typically called the doctrines of grace, and those are summarized often in an acrostic, TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, Total depravity, unmerited election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. Now, I've said this before, but for the benefit of those who haven't heard it, even Southern Baptists are Calvinists. They're just what are termed whiskey Calvinists. They believe one-fifth of those. 
And we joke about the Calvinistic brethren having a flower, the tulip, but you see, Arminians have a flower too. It's called a daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Folks, I've been off for two weeks. There's been a lot of stuff. <laughs> what is there to keep me from falling into unrepentant sin or dangerous error? False teachers have come in. And I think about this. Consider this for a moment. Jude, as he warns about the false teachers, he, he looks back to the history of Israel and he says, think about those, those useless people who see God split the Red Sea wide open and they walk through on dry ground with the waters congealed on either side, towering above them as they march on dry ground to safety and then God collapses it on Pharaoh and his army. And those people who saw that glorious salvation are the same ones who are calling to kill Moses, get a new leader to take him back to Egypt in a matter of a very few days. Not just there, but Jude lifts his eyes even into the spiritual realm. And he said there were angels who didn't keep their first estate, but they rebelled against that holy, glorious, triune God. And because of that, God has bound them in chains of everlasting darkness, awaiting the day of judgment. And then I was reading Spurgeon this week, and I'd never pondered this, but I'll give credit where credit's due. Apparently, plagiarism seems to be a problem in pulpits, so I want to be clear where I get stuff. By the way, folks, this old man had one original thought in 50-plus years of ministry. Okay, let me just say that up front. So if it sounded brilliant, it didn't come from me. All right? Amen. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that, brother. These are my people. But do you think maybe Jude, who we believe here is the half-brother of Jesus, maybe remembered another fellow by the same name? You see, Jude is just a variation of Judas. Judas. You ever think that maybe Jude wondered about someone with the same name, with a, another name, Iscariot, who spent three years with his Lord and Master and yet denied him and demonstrated himself to be a son of perdition? So, in light of false teachers, in light of the history of Israel, in light of what even happened in the heavens, in light, if you will, of what happened among Jesus' own disciples, what hope is there for the rest of us? Now to him who is able to keep you from See, my friends, our problem is our failures and our fears rob us of joy and the comfort of God's promise. Our failures and our fears rob us of joy. 
Jude calls us here to praise the Savior who has promised to keep us. Two main points. Number one, what God gives us. Verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So what does God grant us? He grants His children preservation to Him who's able to keep you from stumbling. Here is the cure for your fear, Christian. Because Christian, you know yourself, or at least I hope you know yourself. I hope you remember the statement of Paul in Corinthians, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. What is it? That preserves you. How does this happen? Because God promises to keep you. Now understand, God doesn't promise that a true believer won't sin. He promises He'll preserve us from committing apostasy, from abandoning the faith once for all delivered. You see, my friend, as Doug Moo puts it, doubt and anxiety are constant companions in our earthly pilgrimage. We worry about our health, we worry about money, our children, our jobs. In sober moments, we perhaps become anxious about death. God doesn't promise to take away these worries, but He does take away from us our greatest worry, where we will spend eternity. He will keep you from stumbling. This is the first gift, preservation. This is the cure for your fear. The second gift, to him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, purification, preservation, purification. If preservation is the cure for your fear, Purification is the cure for your shame. My friend, isn't this the greatest grief to your soul? We are anything except blameless, right? We still sin. We still cling to that which damned and destroyed us. And here we see the promise. Our salvation is a complete salvation we will be presented blameless robert murray mcshane said soon we will be faultless he that begun will perform it we shall be like him we'll see him as he is when you lay down this body you may say farewell lust forever farewell my hateful pride farewell farewell hateful selfishness farewell strife and envying farewell being ashamed of Christ, this is your purification. Now some say, well, why didn't the Lord just completely sanctify us immediately? Why? <laughs> why the battle? Why the fight? The Puritan Thomas Manton considered this. What he said is it's carried on for our present justification and sanctification that they may help one another. Our sanctification is carried on the more kindly, 
because the benefit of justification needs so often to be renewed and applied to us. If our inherent righteousness were more perfect, imputed righteousness would be less important to us. In other words, if we had been changed so much that we never sinned anymore, we might start taking stock in some sense that it was us. Look how good I've become. And I find this so troubling because there are groups out there that teach at least theoretically the idea of complete sanctification. That you can reach a state, if just for a short period of time, of complete, total sanctification. My friend, I will say this as clearly as I can. That is not only ignorant of the Scriptures, that is ignorance of your own heart. If you know you at all, you know better. Our failure in sanctification leads to humiliation. Humiliation leads us to trusting in the imputed righteousness of Christ. If I'm to be saved, it's by Him. And the glory of that motivates my purification. Third gift. Not just preservation, not just purification, but celebration. To Him who's able to present you before the presence of His glory with great joy. If our preservation is the cure for our fear and our purification is the cure for our shame, the celebration ought to be the cure for our sorrow. Some of you are looking to the judgment day, the final return of Christ as Christians, and you're depressed. Because all you can think about is how many ways you've messed this up. I think you half expect on the day of judgment, the Lord's going to say, well, you weren't too good at this. In fact, I really shouldn't ought to, but I'm going to let you. That with head hanging in sorrow and shame, Jude says we will do this with great joy. I'm not saying that our sin doesn't matter. I'm not saying that there's not pain from that and there ought to be repentance. I'm not saying there will not be a judging in the sense of evaluating our lives. But my friends, do you understand this foundational underlying reality For the Christian on the day of judgment, it shall be a day of joy. Now you're scared to amen that because you think I'm lying to you. Or you at least think I'm overselling it. My friend, this is seen over and over and over again throughout the text. We've camped on Jude, but John 10 My sheep hear my voice. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Uh, No one can snatch them out of my hand. They're given to me. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Matthew 7, 23, depart from me. I never knew you. Not that I once knew you, and I don't know you anymore. I never knew you. Romans 8, how do you make sense of that? More than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 Corinthians 1, 
Even the Corinthians had that promise. I wanted us to read that responsive reading in 1 Corinthians 1 to remind ourselves, as big a mess as the Corinthians were, Paul said, you will get home. Hmm. I know this bothers some of you because you're so holy compared to other people. And you would like it if we genuflected before your holiness. But the reality is the Scripture tells me the truth about you, my friend. And the truth is you would split hell wide open were it not for the grace of God. There's not a one of us keeps ourselves saved and safe. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. 1 Peter, we are guarded through faith, imperishable seed. John tells us in 1 John 2, 19, there were those who left, they went out from us, for they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued. Their going out proves they were not of us. This is why the songs this morning, I don't know about you, but hard for me to get through some of those. By the time he will hold me fast comes along, I just kind of stand there and blubber. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. How deep the Father's love. My friends, this is what he grants us. Listen to the words of Mr. Spurgeon. The power to create the world, to divide the rocks, to shake the mountains and set them ablaze is inferior compared with the power that's able to keep us from stumbling. God has been pleased to make us free agents, never deprives us of our free agency, yet without the destruction of a quality necessary to our responsible personhood, God is nevertheless able to keep us from stumbling. He could do this by shutting us up in a prison or by depriving us of the power to commit sins. But he does not keep us in that way. He leaves us with every faculty and propensity that we had before. Yet by some mysterious, omnipotent working of his Holy Spirit, which we can no more understand than we can the blowing of the wind, he keeps his people from stumbling. That, my friend, is what God gives. So what do we give? That's verse 25. I'm going to spend less time on this. Because it's the first thing that's really the important thing, right? What's the second thing? Verse 25. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. My friend, the only proper response to the perseverance of the saints, to being preserved, the only proper response of a Christian to that is worship. It ought to lead you to glorious, heartfelt, life-changing worship. We give it through Christ to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
The way to see the glory of God is to see Jesus Christ, or more specifically, to see the gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ. If you'd see the glory of God, see Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. Count Jesus of great value. Consider Jesus Christ as great gain. Look to him. Why do we spend so much time in the text of Scripture? Is this some kind of a sanctified book club? Or we have a never-ending review? No, my friend. How do we see Jesus? Through His Word. We come not to stuff our heads with mere knowledge. We come to see Jesus. And in Jesus, we see the glory, the gospel of the glory of God. This is our response. Some of you may have heard of a Baptist minister. He's a contemporary of Mr. Spurgeon. He was actually a, a, um, as I recall, he was British and pastored in America, or was it the other way around? I've lost track now. But here's what he said. Octavius Winslow, his name. In presenting to you, my reader, the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of your undivided attention, supreme confidence, and unreserved service, infinitely distancing and eclipsing all other beings and all other objects brought in competition with him. We purpose adopting this principle. Assure the result must be, with the accompanying blessing of the Holy Spirit, the supreme enthronement of Christ in your admiration, trust, and love as the chief among 10,000, and when altogether lovely, happy shall we be if the conviction of the truth is deepened in our souls. None like Christ. None like Christ. Glory we give to God. We give it through Christ. We give honor to God. Glory just denotes this, the honor, the resplendence, the beauty that's ascribed to God. It carries the idea of weight, majesty, his greatness, and how worthy of honor he is. His awful transcendence, one brother puts it. Dominion and authority indicate God's sovereign control. This is not a prayer, by the way, in verse 25, of request. It is a statement of fact. He reigns. And we worship him who reigns upon that throne. Now why camp here so long? Listen again to our brother, Mr. Spurgeon. Your crimes, speaking to Christians, your crimes, if once blotted out, shall never be laid to your charge again. Justification of the gospel is no sham, which may be reversed if you in the future turn aside. No, the debt once paid cannot be demanded twice. The punishment once endured cannot again be inflicted. 
saved, 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 entirely saved by divine grace, you may walk without fear the wide world o'er. My friend, I get excited about this because you grow up in a tradition that teaches you can lose your salvation. Let me explain something to you. That is misery compounded with sadness and multiplied by absolute despair. What sin is enough to put me on the wrong side? Well, I remember, anytime you reject Christ, what is every sin? It's a rejection of the Lord, isn't it? Well, it has to be a really serious sin. Well, so what's a serious sin? Somebody give me the, the guide. Well, something like murder. Well, Jesus said if you do it in your heart, you're guilty of it. Well, that's not really what that means. My friend, if you can lose your salvation, understand there is no such thing as assurance. You can never be certain. If you can lose it, what hope is there? Here's reality, my friend. I lose stuff in my house all the time. I misplace things in my office. I caught myself one day last week looking for a phone that was in my hand. That's not mine. And I didn't bring it up here. I don't think. I ought not be trusted to handle my own salvation. I don't know about you, i got a safe deposit box. You know what to put in there? Stuff that needs to be safe. But even then, if you don't keep a list of what's in there, it's like, what is in that thing? They like it when you go by the bank. I need to get my safe deposit box. Oh, do you need to add something? No, I just need to see what's in there. Now, I know that you think I'm being slighting, but my brothers and sisters, here's reality. I must be kept by His grace or I'm doomed. And that's just not me. That's every single Christian. My friend, if you're not a Christian, you need to be kept. If you trust him, he will keep you. He will hold you fast. Well, that says you, he, nobody snatch out of his hand. What about you jumping out of his hand? Uh-uh. That ain't happening either. He holds you. And our response to that Christian ought to be delighted, glorious worship. Let's pray. My friends, as you pray, consider this. If you're not a believer, I call upon you now. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He will hear you. You don't have to make promises about what you're going to do. You don't need to make vows about what you won't do. All you have to do is turn from your sin and turn to Him. Trust Him. Repentance toward God. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, accomplish Your good work in Your people this day. May the Word bear fruit in each of their lives. This we pray in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.
Let's stand and sing in response. Sing this third verse together. You have the lyrics, please. Thank you. <laughs> For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes at last. He will hold me fast. 